0: we have a just a mega highly accomplished seasoned real estate guy that's done so many things that we're going to get into in many, many different asset classes, pretty much across the country, but has taught just tons and tons of people real estate and has has just done amazing things. I don't even know where to begin. He is the co-founder at realwealth.com and uh, more recently, uh, author of The Wise Investor. He is Rich Fetke. Rich, welcome speak smart success. Good to be here. Wow, I sound pretty cool. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are cool. And, and you know, to, to, to reiterate before I hit the record button, what's really cool is that I think you said you're a surfer, you lift weights, you're a skier. No, man, you're an inter- international man of mystery. i like it (laughs) thanks dude no you've done some cool stuff and uh you know you lived up by me there for a bit and then you moved down to malibu no i mean dude you're you're living you're living the life everybody else wants to live i mean let's let's be honest Mm, i am so grateful for the life i have yeah amazing
1: amazing wife amazing daughters got a grandson now yeah life is life is good i'm grateful
0: yeah no and and i you uh, law of attraction you you've brought it all you've attracted it all and you deserve every bit of it so tell me this, Rich, and before we get into like what you're doing right now, you know, we talked a little bit. You're originally an East Coaster before moving out to California, the Bay Area. You know, you've been a real estate entrepreneur. You said early on you owned a health club, sold it. What did you do before real estate, and how did you get into real estate?
1: Well, when I moved to California in '95, and and. Met my wife, Kathy, about six months after I moved out. I met her in a personal development workshop. And um, I was going to start a chain of one on one fitness training centers, but then I learned about this thing called coaching. It was new back then in 95. And so I went through the coach training certification and really got into that industry and got involved in the coaching industry as far as being a president of a coaching organization, helping come up with the ethics and standards and credentialing for that. For that profession. So that's what I was doing before real wealth and before real estate. I was a business and personal coach. Um, honestly, I was on top of my game. After doing that for about 10 years, I had really built a brand. I had a, just signed a book deal with Simon & Schuster. I was giving keynote speeches all over the country. It just felt amazing. I was 37 years old, had a wife, these two awesome daughters, everything seemed great. And then I was diagnosed with melanoma which is the most advanced form of skin cancer. And the doctors wanted me to, after they did a few surgeries to remove the uh, cancer from my skin, they wanted me to do a a CT scan to make sure everything was removed and didn't metastasize. And they saw four masses on my liver. So after multiple tests, and after several weeks of going from test to test, and they kept seeing these masses on my liver, I had an oncologist tell me that I had six months to live. He said, it looks like this melanoma has spread to your liver. There's not much we can do. It's aggressive. You have probably about six months to live. So it rocked our world. Kathy was a stay-at-home mom at the time, uh, raising our daughters. And so she had no income source. So it's Kathy, who's the one who rallied and said, I got to find a way to make an income uh, if rich dies. And she went out and sought out mentors. And most of those mentors had made their money through real estate investing. And so that turned her onto that came home. She's like, I know what I can do now. Thankfully, the doctor's diagnosis was wrong. It's called a false positive. The masses they saw in my liver were just clusters of blood vessels, but I didn't know that until I got a PET scan, which is the most advanced scan for uh, scanning for cancer. And they said I was cancer free. So, But the, the almost three months of not knowing that was the impetus for Kathy to get out there and find a way to earn an income. So that is what led us to real estate investing. That's not the answer I was expecting. Wow. <laughs> no, it wasn't. The, it wasn't the story I was expecting. Wow. Man, and, it, and it was a re- it was a
0: tough time. And you were 37 at that time. I was 37. Yeah, it was 20 years ago. Got it. Uh, and what what personal development program did you guys meet in? It was a program called
1: World. It's a personal success institute, institute, very similar to like the landmark forum and S, S training and all that stuff. So, you know, something that started back in the seventies, but it was great. It was amazing. They really had us get raw and vulnerable and real, really look at our programs, what was running us, what we wanted. We learned so much through that. And we were teamed up as buddies in this 90 day program. So I, you know, I came into it with some goals and I shifted my goals into one of them being Kathy (laughs) and it worked.
0: Wow, man. And then what was the coaching organization that you were, you'd excelled in? Uh, That's the Coaches Training Institute. Uh, That's where I was certified. Kathy went through
1: there too. uh, Training, it's about a year and a half long certification program. Uh, Now they're called Coactive Training, uh, Coactive Training Institute, Um, but the International Coach Federation. Is the group that I was um, on the board and then eventually elected in the uh, leadership position to help come up with the credentials and all that stuff. And the ICF is still super strong today. I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of members they have, but they are the, they're almost like the American Medical Association for Doctors since the International Coach Federation for, for Coaches.
0: So let me, let me, uh, I'm going to go on a, a, ask a tangential question. Just <laughs> let's do it. it. Uh, yeah, let's do it. So, you know, it just sounds like you're a guy that's like, you know, always been open, this sounds I'm making this inference, which may or may not be accurate, but it sounds like you've certainly been open to doing things, experimenting with things, people that do personal development programs, and then they actually do what's, you know, they, they take a learning and they uh, uh, apply it, or, or kind of a rare breed. It, and so my question is this, is your, do you come from a family of high achievers? Um. No, my
1: dad was an engineer at General Electric, an engineer of jet engines. He grew up really poor, put himself through school by going to Kings Point Merchant Marine Academy um, and did that. But, you know, average income, we were middle class. Um, My mom was a stay at home mom and then she became a travel agent. So nothing like super high achievers. But my parents believed in me. And I think that was huge. And I didn't believe in myself. I was diagnosed uh, hyperkinetic disorder when I was eight years old, which today they call ADHD. I was put on Ritalin. I was put in classes for the learning disabled. So for me, I had this inner voice that I was stupid. I was retarded because kids were calling me that, that I would never amount to anything. I didn't even graduate with my high school class. I I failed English, so I had to go back to summer school. So I really came into it feeling like a loser, honestly. And it wasn't until I started weightlifting that I started to gain some confidence and learned about visualization and goal setting and commitment and learning discipline. And I just carried all those lessons over to my educational goals and went on to get that business degree and started to be like, wait a minute, maybe I'm not as much of a loser as I think I am. And so that is what turned me on to personal development was like learning that as I got better, everything in my life got better so i made this commitment to just continuously learn and grow and read books and go to courses and have a
0: coach and all that stuff so it's been it's been a game changer for my life oh my god that's so impressive I try not to talk too much about myself in this podcast cuz cuz I I'm podcasting you not the other way around but <laughs> you really touched something and uh you know life can be cruel and the and the thing is about like formative experience like grade school and you and I are approximately the same age I'm a little bit older than you but back then yeah. they didn't know how to diagnose ADHD and yeah. uh, I was reading my wife somehow found like a box of all my like quote unquote stuff for my whole life during COVID. And I read like every report card from the time I was in first grade. (laughs) And it's so clear I had ADHD and I never did well in school. And there were times like in high school that I actually did put forth some effort, but still never did well. And I don't want to dwell too much, but the the point is this, I felt really, really stupid as a kid. And quite frankly, there's part of me that still does, and I've not been able to completely overcome it despite. Same here. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad to hear you say that it makes me feel not as bad. I mean, and people there, there are people that I respect incredibly, including my oldest brother who went to Harvard law, not too far from where you grew up, who thought I was the smartest one in the family. And I've had people tell me oh, one of the smartest guys I've ever known. And, and, it, but in my heart of hearts, in my, I still feel stupid.
1: Yeah. It's that inner gremlin. It's that subconscious. Little guy that you know berates us and tells us we're not enough and you know all that stuff and it's always just looking out to to hold us back you know because it's trying to keep us playing safe really right so it's like yeah I still have that gremlin today Kathy and I have a relationship coach that we meet we meet with, uh, once a month and that just came up in our last session I was like you know I still feel like I'm not enough you know and it's like not enough not good enough husband not good enough businessman whatever it might be but you know
0: you just got to forge ahead right just like screw it. Yeah, I got it. Well, this <laughs> very interesting. Hey, Street Smart listeners. I'd like to introduce a great partner for you. As you know, insurance is one of the biggest expenses on the P&L. That's why I'm recommending Assured Partners. Assured Partners helps you lower risk and therefore can save you tons of money down the road. They insure over 2 million market rate and affordable units and are the 6th largest insurance property broker in the US. If you want a roll your sleeves up partner that blankets you with service, give Robert Band, Vice President, a call. Robert thinks like a CFO because he was a CFO for many years. Give Robert a call now at 305-467 Five nine oh nine. You'll be glad you did. So Kathy thinks you're dying. Fortunately, she was wrong, and uh, she goes out and gets some mentors and, and figures out they're all in real estate. Not all, but you know what I mean. So what did Most what, them, did, what yeah. did she do? What did you do? So um, she had this. She started up this radio
1: show where it's kind of those pay to play where you pay to be on. She was on KSFO in the Bay in San Francisco Bay Area, and so she would you know pay for this time, and then she would find sponsors. So she found one sponsor that in, in the beginning, it was just more of a coaching show. It was about helping people get the most out of life. And it was called The Edge, uh, giving people the edge. And then she was looking for sponsors and she found a mortgage uh, broker. And he said, Yeah, I'll, I'll advertise on your show. And oh, he actually said, I'll be your co host. He goes, I'll pay for everything. I'll be your co host. So they pivoted and they changed the show to, they called it The Bridge to Financial Freedom. And that was the introduction into, Know really investing in real estate, and the show started to grow, and so she went out and got her license as an agent, so she could uh, do mortgages for people. And then she came home one day and she said, "You know, I'm this is what I'm going to do. I got a host. I'm going to change the show to about mortgages." And I was laughing at her because she's always been the one who's like used to be the one who is like resisting any type of financial meeting, didn't want to talk about finances. She just thought it was boring. She was always in newscasting and all that. And That was her her thing, you know. She worked in the newsroom of KTVU and Fox News and ABC Seven um, before she had kids. So it was interesting. And I just said, you know, why don't you take these people who are using their mortgages and why don't you do human interest stories on them? Like, what are they using these mortgages for? Because she said they were for invest investors. So that's what she. They pivoted the show. They started to focus on investors and all that. The show grew. And then Kathy had this guest on the show, this guy named Robert Kiyosaki. (laughs) And this is back in 2003. And he said he was selling all his high priced California rental properties and 1031 exchanging them into Dallas, Texas. So she said, let's do the same. We did a We did a 1031 exchange. No, I mean, I'm sorry, not 1031. uh, This house that we got from a 1031 exchange through Kathy's dad. That's a long story about, basically we did a cash out refi and we took that money and we invested in six properties north of Dallas in a town called Rockwall. And so then we, all of a sudden we were real estate investors. We had six properties and then we started to have people on her radio show and friends and family saying, how did you guys do How are you investing in Dallas and living in the San Francisco Bay area is what What about the 30 minute rule? You know, you're supposed to be able to see and touch your rental properties and manage them. And but we had found property management. And, and this was back when it wasn't done too much, having property managers and all. And so we were just like, you know, let's form a group of friends and family and something for the listeners of your radio show. And we called it Real Wealth because we wanted it to be the real deal. We wanted it to be about not just money, but being able to live life on your own terms. After what I went through with that scare, realizing what money doesn't matter as much as the time with your friends and your family and the people you love. So that was our focus from day one. We wanted to be the anti-guru. We didn't want to do the cheesy back of the room sale thing. And we started to help investors um, acquire properties in different markets by connecting them with brokers in those markets. And that's what we're still doing today. You know what? We thought it was going to be a couple hundred members in our network. We didn't never thought that it would be 67,000 members in 2022.
0: Okay. So how, you know, our, our timing, I, I was doing the same thing at the same time. Nice. I, I, yes and no. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah, And then until 2008 hit. Well, yeah, well, we, we, <laughs> We we bought a lot of houses in 03. Like, I mean, when I say timing, I mean like exact 03 and then end 04. And then we just got lucky. We, we were going to be long-term folks. And I was thinking, well, you know, 15 years from now, these things will be paid off. I think we're doing 15-year mortgages and I'll be making X amount, blah, blah, blah. They ended yeah. up going up like a hundred grand a house and like, you know, uh, in, in six months or so, which wasn't our plan I was like holy, oh my God. So we, I sold long story, but I, so anyway, but here, so here's my question. Um, no, it wasn't all bad, but then what I did with the money, I invested in things and lost my ass doing a number of things after mm, that. But nah. on the, uh, so if you're still doing that, what is the model from your perspective? Like, how do you guys make money doing that? Uh, I'm a licensed broker. So we have a California real
1: estate brokerage um, called Real Wealth Realty. And so basically we help investors, we educate them. We've always provided our education for free. You know, we've uh, almost a thousand uh, hour long free educational webinars we've produced, a lot of free live events. And the way we're compensated is just like any real estate broker. If I refer an investor to another broker, and they buy a property through that broker. Then the seller of that property pays a referral fee. It goes to the broker and it goes to goes to us. So a broker to broker referral fee, completely legit. We had we hired a DRE, a Department of Real Estate attorney, to make sure that we are rock solid doing everything legally. And that's the only way you can actually refer uh, receive referral fees is broker to broker. There's no other way to do it legally with the Department of Real Estate.
0: Simplistic and insofar as it's simplistic, brilliant, and uh, I could tell you guys your hearts in the right place and it's, and it's served you well and you guys are great marketers and, you know, 67,000, I get it. Okay. Super, super cool. Um, how, how has that worked though? You know, and I know you know this, you know, a thousand times better than I do, but it used to be the proverbial 1% rule, right? Back then you could buy a house in Dallas for 120 grand, 140 grand or whatever, and maybe Maybe the rent was 1400 and it okay it's exact, exactly what it was right. those, those numbers were exact what you just said right yeah. right and uh so how about but now these days you know a house in dallas i'll just use that market as an example since you brought it up i mean homes are i don't know as much about it now as i did then specifically about you know single family in, in dallas but i would imagine You know those same houses these days are 350 and you're not getting 3500 in rent so how how is that kind of formulated what you do now are you just finding other markets but it seems like it seems like that's impossible To of course interest rates have been way lower anyway i'll shut up and let you answer the question (laughs) (laughs) no you're
1: so you're so true yeah you're very aware of it all and yeah the one percent rule You know, it's funny because some people come to us and they'll be like, yeah, you know, I've been told that, you know, know, they read an old book or something like that. What about this one percent rule? And we're like, yeah, it used to work, used to be the way it was back then, you know, and it could almost work when we had those crazy low interest rates. But it's just it's a different animal today. So, yes, we're finding markets and markets within markets. So going outside, going more north of Dallas now and getting properties that are more in that one hundred and fifty thousand range closer to Oklahoma, But in the path of progress where they're where the semiconductors are being built and they're building all these factories and they're building freeways that go from these outskirts that used to be so cheap. And so it's path of progress. So right now, the rents aren't there to get the one percent rule. But over time, the rents keep going up and the rents keep going up because the commute's shorter. There's um, new freeways going in and there's new jobs going there. So we look for markets where things are going to be going where infrastructure is being developed where jobs are moving jobs are going to be moving people are moving you know where the people go the money flows right <laughs> that's the old saying so that's what we're constantly looking for for the markets that we bring on for investors and that's usually the way it works you know people say do you have do you have investment properties in this market and often we do if we don't then we send our, our we have a property team managers they go out they fly out to the market they Talk to different property teams, property managers. They look at who are doing either fix and flips or new bills or whatever in this market. And they connect with other brokers. And so then we'll pick that market up after a, you know, kind of a thorough vetting of the market to make sure it's something that's going to be you know, growing in the future. So not always getting that 1% rule in the first year, not even the first five years, but we're all about the long term you know we're boring (laughs) so a lot of people are you know busy professionals who come to us who can't go out there and scout markets and look at deals and negotiate and all that they want more of a done-for-you type approach Mm, that's what we do so we're a kind of a specific niche of who we work with the type of people we help we're not for the do-it-yourselfer we're definitely for the the busy professional who wants to diversify their portfolio have rental properties and get all those other benefits beyond just the cash flow, you know, the future appreciation. The, a lot of times it's the tax benefits of owning those investment
0: properties and the depreciation write off. So
1: that's, that's the main
0: deal. That's the main deal. So do you effectively, Rich, basically, you, you know, you find a great market in the path of progress, Numbers work better than, you know, a major metro that's already kind of taken off like a Dallas or or whatever the heck it is, right, Atlanta. So you find a market and then you basically lay the groundwork and then also find, you know, good brokers, a broker slash brokers in that market and property manager. And then you can plug your investor in. To the to the groundwork you've already laid is that a that you know at fifty thousand feet is that the gist of what you do? That's exactly yeah that's exactly what we do, we do for that
1: side of the business and then the other side of the business uh, starting in twenty ten we started to syndicate um, you know do raising investor funds for um, mostly residential ground up development so we've done a bunch of those we've done about a dozen uh, residential developments where investors put in their share they can buy one unit for 50000 or two units for 100000 whatever they want to do. And they share in the syndication and then we will team up with an experienced developer and that developer will either build out all the horizontals, get it entitled, and then we'll sell it to a big home builder like a Pulte or a Lennar or something like that. And investors get their preferred return and they share in the profits with us. Uh, or sometimes we'll even build the whole thing out um, if it's the right I am in the right place. Like we just did two big developments in Reno, um, built probably 150 single family homes up there. And when they sell at retail, then the investors, you know, share in the profits of
0: that. Got it. Okay. So, so on the ground up, uh, residential. You're talking multifamily. No, mostly residential, single family. You know, full on subdivisions.
1: So it's when we sell it to a home builder, usually that's what they're looking for like the Pulte or the Lennar, they're, you know, or all these, you know, big companies, they're looking to to acquire the land um, and have it all ready to go and entitled. They don't don't want to take the risk and going through all that entitlement process to get the land entitled for single family. Um, So that can work really well or like with the Reno example, same thing, you know, being close to the Tesla Tesla factory up there, um, getting ahead. Again, they were building the Tesla factory when we started the syndication. And we built all these single family homes and now they're selling, but they're selling up in the, you know, six to eight hundred thousand range. Um, so it's a higher price. A lot of people, honestly, moving from the Bay Area to Reno, buying these properties, they're selling there properties that are worth 2 million,
0: you know, or 1.5 and they go and they get to buy these cash and have money left over. So, wow. This, I did not know either. You know, I poked around on your website. I probably should have spent more time than I did. Um, (laughs) but fascinating. So I guess my question is this is, are you basically, well, on those 12 developments, then are you guys basically, you know, you're working with an operator that, that, you know, is, is yeah? I don't know if you're a co-GP, but they're, they're a GP, they're the, the guy boots on the ground. Are they basically buying land and getting it entitled and building out like infrastructure? Like at what point are you selling it to the developer, to the Pulte Lennars? That's what I'm trying to get my head around.
1: You know, at different stages, honestly, we've, there was one we did called Dublin Crossings and it was right in Dublin where 580 meets 680 there. I'm sure you're familiar with that. And there was a, it was all, it was all um, industrial and just, uh, warehouses and things like that. Like Challenge Dairy had their their warehouse there and their corporate office and a bunch of other old warehouses. So this developer who's got 40 years of experience, he's done developments all over the, the Bay Area. Um, he basically being in the game that long, he knows um, city council and the planning commission and all that. So he knows those people, he knows what they need and what they want. So he goes in and negotiates and he got it entitled and that one turned around quick. So we were able to just acquire that property with not much money down from the investors acquire it get it all entitled finalize it so there's a little bit of a risk um you know it's like is it going to be fully entitled but he was very confident and he's been so good at it that you know we go in we take that risk then once it was entitled then that's when the, those home builders are like we're just we're looking for something you know especially there when you think about that you know right around dublin california it was just hot super hot and there was You know, you could go way to the outskirts and build out where, you know, you could buy from a farmer and build way out there, but to be able to be downtown right near the barge station and and all that, it was super valuable. So that one turned around really quick and sold it uh, quickly. Sometimes it's a different phase. You go from the entitlement phase, you do all the horizontals, you get the pads in, you get all the plumbing hooked up and the electrical run in there and get it all ready to build homes. And um, then you can sell it for a higher price because obviously you've done more work and you take some of the risk out of it. So all different, all different phases we've, we've sold to other companies and, or decided to be like Reno. We had an offer for 20 million after we got the entitlement and everything. And we really looked at that. The developer looked at that offer and he said, you know, if we do this retail, if I bring in my other builder company to build these things, we can we can do four times that amount of money as far as a return. So sometimes it's just kind of gaming it, you know, you're just looking at it. What's the best timing? What's the risk? Just like any investment. Interesting.
0: It seems like there's so many syndicators. Well, period. You know, that have come out of the woodwork in the last three to five <laughs> yeah, years. Like too many. <laughs> too, too too many. Too many. Right. Exactly. Uh, in in multifamily, but in every you know self storage, mobile home, every everyone. Is there a reason that you've identified uh, development and specifically around land? uh, and not necessarily gone into those other asset classes, I guess, what's your, you know, what's, what's the strategy and thinking? Cause I find it pretty darn interesting.
1: Honestly, it's from lack of experience. We tried multifamily. We bought three in Indiana. We bought three big multifamilies right next to each other from the same person. And then just ran into major challenges with people stealing the copper, um, from, from the buildings, just, just same thing. You've been through it. Yeah. yeah.
0: (laughs) And so it just, it really, it it was,
1: it was one of the few syndications that didn't go well. And for us, you know, investors lost money. They get, I think 90% of their capital back, but still they lost money. And it just, it felt crappy. And we're like, we don't know what we're doing here. We don't know how to underwrite multifamily. We know residential, we've been doing it for years. We know single family. And so and teaming up with a developer who had that experience, if, if a developer came to us back then in 2010 who had years of experience doing multifamily, we'd probably be doing multifamily. But we just we teamed up with investors, I mean, with developers who had that experience. And then, and, you know, because we did one, then another developer came to us and said, hey, I can do the same thing. So we just stayed in our lane. We, that's that's the bottom line. We just stayed in our lane of single family Residential development. Got it.
0: How much of your, I guess, focus, time, effort, however you want to break it down today, is in the is what we were talking about initially, which is you know kind of helping investors find homes to invest in versus the syndication model. I guess where you know what what are you doing most of your time these days? Um, Kathy and I kind of divide and conquer. So she
1: oversees the syndications and all of that development. And then I oversee the brokerage and the helping people get into single family. So it's for me, um, it's you know, that's that's my main focus. So it's kind of a balance. Uh, if you were to look at overall effort and and all that, it's probably 50-50 for as far as real wealth, the company. So yeah, it's just kind of a kind of a balance. It hasn't shifted a ton since we started syndicating. Um, but yeah, just kind of a balance. So we have something for everyone. And honestly, what we were really clear on our members and what they invest in. And most of the people who end up purchasing a few single families end up getting involved and in buying some units in a syndication. So a lot of our investors kind of diversify. They have some passive investments in the syndications and they have some a little bit more active, you know, not still pretty passive, but they
0: still have to manage their manager, property managers and all that. Do you, this is just a complete aside question. Do you encourage your, on, on the single family home side of the house, no pun intended, um, <laughs> is do you encourage those folks to go see the houses that they're going to buy, even if it's in, you know, Jacksonville, Florida? I don't know if you're there, but, you know, just pulling that out of my. We are in Jacksonville. Yeah. Okay. We have to, one of our
1: busiest property teams is Jacksonville, Florida. Yeah. Okay. Um, we It all depends on their comfort level. You know, we usually, you know, we have investment counselors. We have three investment counselors. They're all experienced investors. You know, two of them are actually, were members who've purchased so many investment properties over the years that, you know, then we said, do you want to work for us? Uh, so they're all experienced and they know that. So they will usually kind of feel it out when they do a strategy session with someone, they sit down, they find out what level of experience they have. Do they already own any rental properties? If not, then they, yeah, they usually encourage them to take a trip out, meet the property team, look, walk through the properties and choose something. But honestly, after like the second or third investment property, someone does that, then usually it's just like, send me some videos, send me the numbers, Um, because everyone, we urge, we we require that everyone gets a full appraisal and a full inspection on any property. Even though we're recommending these property teams and these brokers, we still urge investors to make sure they do their due diligence and and all that. So, I mean, you can you can do it remotely nowadays. It's amazing. From the video walkthroughs to the photos, to the numbers, to the inspection and the appraisal, you don't really have to go out to see
0: the property. You know, I'm sure you know, and when I say this, I'm not even 99.9% confident of what I'm about ready to say. It's 100% and it's this. I know you know who Marshall Reddick is. Yes. <laughs> okay. And I uh foolheartedly, you know, bought some through him back in that o3 time frame and and I bought it uh, I'm like well I'm not I'm no longer ashamed. I was ashamed and then eventually I just forgave myself, Rich. I'm just like Good this yeah, like, is <laughs> right, no longer <laughs> Yeah, it's no longer productive for me to beat myself up. In fact it's counterproductive because I'm never gonna do anything again if I don't let myself give myself a break. But anyway, yeah one of the many mistakes I made, but I, I bought a couple in Atlanta and it sight unseen, this and that. And to your point, if it were today, I'd just go Google it and, and you could see, you know, a 360, right? But they didn't have that yeah. in 03 I was there on unrelated business and I decided, Hey, I'm in Atlanta. Let me go see my places. And so one of the places had like two incredibly hideous, like utility cabinets on the front lawn. And I'm mm-hmm. um, like, you know, I wanted to kill like everybody involved. And at the end of the day, it was my fault, <laughs> but it just kind of, it's just, you're bringing up bad memories anyway. Um- Sorry, man. No- <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: Believe me, I know it. I know it. Yeah. it's there's so much woulda, coulda, shoulda, you know, I
0: still have those too, but yeah, gotta let it go. Yeah. It's like, so you're right. Exactly. Um, if you're comfortable a- answering this answer, if not, that's cool, too. But but I was just curious, what's an approximate number of houses that are going through, you know, real wealth that you're you know connecting people to buying on a monthly annual basis or whatever?
1: Yeah, it's been pretty consistent um, over the years, especially over the last like eight years, nine years. Uh, it usually comes right in around about
0: a thousand properties a year. Got it. Good for you. That's fantastic. What can people, and I know this is such a moving target because of interest rates, but I mean, I guess what, what do people, you know, if somebody puts 30% down, I don't know what banks are willing to lend these days. It probably depends on the borrower and you know, the market and all that kind of stuff and the lender. Like, what, are, like, what do people need to put down and what can they make? So if they put down 30% these days, in a less expensive market path of progress, if they put 30% down or whatever the heck it is, what can they make, you know, yield on that money? You know, because like 4%, 5% or what's the general? Yeah,
1: I mean, it really depends a lot. Most investors now, I would say probably 70 to 80% of investors are doing arms, but longer arms, like 10, 10 years. Um, and so the adjustable rate mortgage, because the 30-year fixed, you know, those are com- that's coming in at like, high sixes and low sevens, you know, percent, you know, but these arms are coming in. Um, I just saw one was six and a quarter. If you do 25% down six and a quarter for a 10 year arm, it's um, so not too bad. And, you know, and then basically what they're saying is near the end of most experts are saying that the ones that we listen to uh, near the end of 2023, we're going to be coming back down with rates dropping down more into the, you know, high fives you know keeping down in the low sixes so i mean it makes sense you know to to go on an arm now usually i'm i'm mister 30 year fixed you know all the time i'm so just cuz of the pain of 2008 is still there i want something i can lock in for the long haul um but i mean basically as far as the returns yeah the cash flow is you know that ranges from just a little over break even uh in some markets to maybe 4 or 500 a month in, in some other markets, like more like Ohio or something like that, you can do better cash flow. Um, but I mean, the so the yields comes in, like you were just saying, some of them are like 4%, some up as high as 8%, uh, but not much more
0: than that. Not like it used to be where you get these 12, 15% returns. It's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting prospect in conversation because I think long term, unless you're investing in a market that's losing population, right, shy of that, and then there are even markets, you said Ohio, where I'm originally from, there are markets in Ohio that are growing, like Cincinnati's growing, Columbus is growing. Absolutely, like, Cleveland is as well. Which yeah. is, yeah, just would, would never thought that was going to happen. Um, right. That's where I'm from. Anyway, uh, but Columbus, blah, 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 etc. You know, it's an incredibly conservative investment because, you know, in, a, in enough time, those houses are going to be they're gonna appreciate and as long as you can carry them if you if you if you're realistic about having reserves it's kind of like you, you can't really go wrong I mean in the scheme of things yeah. and you're, you don't have to trust a uh, another ge- a general partner that maybe is you know maybe they they're not as good as you thought et cetera. Um, it's still a pretty darn safe, you know, investment. It's it's hard to go wrong if, if, if you've got a long enough time horizon. There's so many benefits to it, you know, especially when it comes to
1: taxes, you know, it's just such a favored tax investment. So that's a huge thing. These kind of higher income professionals who come to us and they just, they want the write offs as well. So there's that benefit, but yeah, for the long haul. And then we also bring in inflation into it, right. When you can lock in a mortgage, even if it's an arm lock in for 10 years. It's like, you know, he's still outpacing inflation, which is, it's that nice hedge.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's the ultimate in in leverage and um, yeah, all the above. Tell me about The Wise Investor. What is in it? Why did you write it? And um, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know what? I got one right here. I just got this
1: two days ago. (laughs) An actual hardcover book.
0: (laughs) Awesome design, (laughs)
1: dude. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm really happy with it. So, it's called The Wise Investor. It is a parable. So, it's it's a modern parable. It's about creating financial freedom, about living your best life. So, it's kind of like blending kind of like blending Rich Dad, Poor Dad and The Alchemist and The Richest Man of Babylon all into one book. So, it's a parable that tells a fictional story, but it's based on real people, people I've met, people we've interviewed at Real Wealth, um the experts, Kathy and me are woven into that story as well. And basically it's just, I wanted to write a story because so many people don't finish a nonfiction book. It's crazy. 86% of people don't finish a nonfiction book when they start it. So I I wanted to write a parable that would be compelling, that would pull people into the story, but then convey and share these key core lessons about creating real wealth, about financial independence, about investing. And, And honestly, from those years of coaching, I also wove a lot of lessons in about living your best life, how you can be your best self, how you can show up as a better human, as a better parent, as a better um, investor, all that stuff. So yeah, that's I'm really excited about it. I'm super happy with the story.
0: You know, it's uh, fantastic that you, I, I, and also I'm impressed that you could actually were creative enough to write to write a parable. It's like, man, wow, okay, that's cool. You know, I was thinking, as you were saying that like, you know, 86% haven't, that start, don't finish a nonfiction book. I was thinking the number for fiction is probably 96%. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I can
1: see if it's like not a good book, you're like, I'm done with this one. But you know, some even if it's a good book, sometimes you just, you know, life gets busy. We have so many things coming at us. So. Yeah.
0: I, I was just joking. Although I, I've tried Atlas Shrugged like three times, and I can only get a, like a third of the way. Man, I just get buried, and I'm like, I just can't, you know. And again, which uh, that's a contributes that that one. sense of what we we're talking about earlier makes me feel stupid. But anyway, one of these years, I'm going to read that. Well, my my last question for you is, Rich, uh, and again, I thank you so much. Um, And it, I really want to connect when my wife are down in SoCal and and get together with you guys if if you're available at some point. Yeah. It's only a matter of time. Um, but what would you say are, are is the most important lesson or lessons, plural, that you've learned along the way? Because you and Eva, you guys have done a lot of stuff. So, Oh
1: man, um, I really boil it down to what we were talking about earlier, that when we get better, everything around us gets better. So, so many people come to Real Wealth and they're like, I just want to know the knowledge. I want to know the facts. I want to know how to do this and stuff. But they haven't worked on themselves. So they don't have the discipline or the focus or even the self belief to achieve what they want to achieve. But when we work on ourselves, when we look at how can I get better in all these different areas of my life? How can I be a more effective human? How can I be more focused? How can I take effective action? When we really work on ourselves to grow and learn, that's the game changer. And it's the people that I've seen who are the most successful investors are the ones who've worked on themselves to become the best version of themselves. It's the bottom line.
0: Yeah, I heard a quote, which I'm going to misquote it, unfortunately. But the gist of it is, the better your insides, the better your outsides. Oh, I love that. Uh, I haven't heard that one. Yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah. That's exactly it. And, yep. and there ain't a lot of shortcuts, man. It's uh, it's it's one of those, um, you know, just one of those, you can't get around that. But uh, very interesting. Well, listen, where does one buy the wise investor? Where does one find out about real wealth, Rich Vecchi? How could somebody connect with you, learn, et cetera, et cetera, to, to, if they don't know who you are yet? Sure.
1: Yeah. Thanks for asking. Uh, wise investors everywhere. Um, it came out as a Kindle, an ebook, uh, back in April. Then the audio book came out in August. Uh, supply chain issues have been, you know, holding things back. Like I was saying, it took seven months to get this hardcover printed. That's why I'm so stoked to be able to hold it in my hand. Finally took so long. Um, so anywhere, you know, Amazon, Target, Walmart, any, um, Audible, for if you want the audiobook. I'm more of an audiobook guy. So I, I love the audio. It's published by Rich Dad Advisors. So uh, Robert Kiyosaki was gracious enough to write the forward for me as well. So that's a, a huge win. And then if people want to learn more about what we do at Real Wealth and how we help investors, uh, really simple,
0: just realwealth.com. Got it. Rich Vetke, you know, I hope to do this with you sometime next year. What are you doing for Thanksgiving? I think we're going to do a day
1: after Thanksgiving feast with our whole family, just for good timing and everything. So I think we're going to do it here in Malibu. And our younger daughter just came home from three months in Europe. She's been traveling all over the world. She's been to 30 countries. She's only 23. So she's here now. We're grateful for that. So we'll, And then I'll, we'll have our older daughter come over with her husband and
0: our grandson and just keep it family. Got it. Well, I very, very much appreciate it and uh, look forward to circling back. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Likewise. Thank you. Yep. Rich.